Father, we praise you and we honor you this morning. Be with all of us here this morning now. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're working through um, Colossians. If you have your Bibles, we're in uh, Colossians um, chapter 3. We'll be looking at three verses this morning. Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, the hallmarks of the holy life, hallmarks of the holy life, two in particular, and then we'll catch two more up as we uh, look to it, uh, Colossians three thirteen to 16, bear with each other and forgive whatever complaining grievances you have against one another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let's pray together. Father, it's your word to your people. We ask now that you'll just bless our time together and that, Lord, as we look at the hallmarks of the holy life, Father, that um, we can walk in them as we put you on. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been going through, as I said before, uh, Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at the, um, the life above or the Christ life in all of us, that life that Christ has given to us, it is a holy and desired life. We saw last time that it was a new wardrobe that we put on, that Christ has provided for us and it's set before us. After we've put away the old nature, in verse 8, we find that it was put these things away, anger, bad temper, malice, slanders, um, shameful language, throw that stuff by throwing it off and getting rid of it, we put on Christ's righteousness. We saw that in verse 12. It shows up in compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. Now we come to verse 13. 13, we'll see some hallmarks. Hallmarks of the holy life. By hallmarks, we mean that there's a stamp of excellence. It's, it's put on our lives by Christ. And... It becomes holy, acceptable, and pleasing in God's sight. And evil has no match. Hallmarks are forgiveness, and they are love. But out of forgiveness and love come peace and thankfulness as well. The word hallmark, and now we're not referring to the, uh, the cards or the card company per se, but they somewhere on that card is their stamp of excellence, that you have a card that is produced by this card company. But really where it came from was it was a goldsmith in, in, it was a goldsmith's hall in London, England, where the jewelers would take their stamp and put it on silver or gold objects to let you know what the value of that was. It was a guarantee of quality excellence. Christ's forgiveness and his love lived out in each one of us, in you and me, he puts his stamp of quality of excellence on us. There's no other religion 
that has that, the basis for forgiveness and love. Only Christ, only Christ gives forgiveness of sin and He loves the sinner. Allah, Allah is not known for His love for His followers. Neither are there the Eastern religions and their gods. All we have to do is simply ask Him. Ask Him for forgiveness and seek His love. And as He calls us to be His followers, we just follow His example. That's what He wants. It is that stamp of approval that He gives us, you and me, as His followers, that distinguishes us from all others. They talk religion. We are relationship. So let's look then at the hallmarks of forgiveness, or the hallmarks of holiness, excuse me. The hallmarks of holiness are forgiveness and love. First, forgiveness. Bear, bear up or bear with one another and forgive whatever complaining grievances you may have with another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiveness is something that we all have to deal with here in the room. We have to do it on a daily basis. Jesus included in his prayer, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That came right on the heels of give us this day our daily bread. So we see that forgiveness has to happen on a daily basis. In other words, we could say only on the days that you eat, forgive. We are asked um, to forgive others on the same basis as Christ has forgiven us. Here in Colossians and also in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven. Do you forgive? Do you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you? And what might that look like? Well, we know, we know that Christ and God has removed our sins as far as the East is from the West. We might be able to put it like this. I am going to put the wrongdoing that has occurred to me as far as east as possible. I'm going to take the memory of what has happened to me and I'm going to put that as far west as possible. Do we have an ongoing forgiveness attitude? Does your family and does my family enjoy our company um, when in the midst of their mistakes, they kind of look at us and they wonder, how is dad going to respond? How do you respond when they make mistakes or when they've wronged you in some way? Do they have a sense that they, you, they're still loved by you? So does your forgiving attitude stretch? Or does it collapse? Walking with and living in Christ we just simply go to him and ask for forgiveness. Are you and I approachable like that? Do folks round about us have that sense that we care? That we're not going to collapse, but we're going to stretch our forgiving attitude. We, we knew of a couple in seminary that um, we, we came to love them, um, 
But we noticed a pattern in, in their relationships, is that when they would connect with other folks in the seminary, oh man, it was a strong bond. But, but then they would, this couple would, would find, find, how should we say, faults with the people that they'd connect with. And, and then after a while, uh, uncovering these faults, they would, um, well, they would break off. They would break off with them and then go and try and meet up with the other couples. And so we watched, we watched this couple kind of make the circuit. And what we discovered was that, um, well, they, they quickly labeled people. And, um, well, the, the loving forgiveness attitude was missing. It was a missing element in all of their relationships. That's what this passage is talking about. That it's, it's a forgiving attitude toward one another, and then it embedded, embeds itself in the relationships that we have with one another. God's telling us as His people to bear or hold one another together. Except, except maybe the wrongness that's done to you, and accept that wrongness in others, but then go the extra, extra, go the extra. And that is, forgive them. And what we've called um, complain, complaining grievances. What can stop us from forgiving others? such as like a spouse, a parent, a child, a brother in Christ even. I've, I've written three down here, um, and maybe you can think of others. Uh, pride can stop us. Pride can stop us from forgiving. Secondly, um, past experiences, uh, growing up as a child, um, not sure how to handle maybe an abuse situation as a child. So past feelings have, have gotten in the way. And so that experience hinders us from, for, from forgiving. It, it's more like a, an overwhelming chore. And then maybe thirdly, uh, underestimating the Lord's ability to forgive through us or through you. You might think that you are the source of forgiveness. You're, you're wrong. Uh, the Lord is the source of forgiveness. Um, and the Holy Spirit, He gives us His Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive. How quickly, how quickly do you and I find fault or forgive? A recent story is told of uh, a problem that came to the Quest Communications um, I think that's what it is, a telephone company, a problem arised, or arose um, during a meeting. And what happened was, during this meeting in this company, um, there was an error that caused some uh, loss in sales. And so the, uh, the supervisor w- went to all the employees and said, look, we've, we've got this problem here. And um, one of the Gentleman, that was, he, he raised his hand. Well, Mr. Supervisor, um, that's, that's my fault. I'll take full responsibility of it. 
supervisor said, man, you are no longer employed by this company. Uh, so he called for a security guard to escort him to his desk, pack all his things, and he was gone. All over. It's done. He was no longer employed by that company. On the other hand, let me give you a, um, another scenario. William Gladstone was a chancellor, and he was a well-known chancellor um, in, British, in the British colony in the 1800s, in the British uh, country, country of Britain. Um, in 1865, Gladstone had a reputation for being an auditor and a skilled treasurer. He served as chancellor of what was called the... Um, Exchequer, be kind of our um, one of our uh, huge banks here today, and he was famous for um, his budgets, which which lowered the income taxes. In 1868, he became the first. Uh, he began his first year as, as prime minister. So during his three terms as prime minister, he pushed for many reforms. One of the greatest desires was for Ireland to have some measure of self-government, which was strongly opposed. And ultimately, it really crushed him. It was an overwhelming blow to him. But not only was he an influential political leader, he was also an outstanding lay leader for the Church of England. He wrote several books on theology, and he was uh, devoted. He was a devoted man of God, wanting to serve him. So he strove to live a holy life. The story goes like this. William Gladstone, Chancellor of Exchequer, he sent for certain statistics to be brought to, well, they were to go to the Treasury because he was um, going to make um, an announcement of his budget proposals. The statistician made a mistake, and Gladstone was so sure of the man's accuracy, he didn't even bother to check the figures. He went before the House of Commons, he made his speech, basing his appeal on incorrect figures. His speech was no sooner published, and the paper exposed um, all the the glaring mistakes, and so Gladstone, he was publicly embarrassed. He called for the statistician, who by now was full of fear, came trembling in, and Gladstone looked at him, and he said, you know, for a long time, you've you've handled the... uh, the national accounts with, uh, with highest I- integrity. All these in- intricacies, it's very complex. And you've done a great job. I want to congratulate you and express my keen appreciation for what you've done. Forgiveness takes a person willing to put himself in another person's place. Love reinforces that. It reinforces forgiveness. And so then the love of Christ reinforces us to forgive. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear in 1 John 4.18. Don't be afraid to forgive, nor to receive it. It's coming from love. A second hallmark of holiness, then, is um, we just looked at forgiveness. Now let's look at love. Above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
These virtues are the wardrobe of Christ. We saw them before. It's compassion, it's kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. In verse 13, we add forgiveness, and now it's, it's love. And we can um, kind of um, use an illustration of a, a long, flowing veil or gown that goes from, from over our head down to our toes. It is that long, flowing veil of love which binds together and makes everything that we do beautiful. In this context, love is not referring to uh, specifically love for God, but it is stressing the importance of love in all the relationships that we have round about us. C.S. Lewis makes this quite clear in Mere Christianity. He says, love, in the Christian sense, is not emotion, but it's a state. It's not of feelings, but of will. It's the state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves, and we must learn to develop that toward other folks. 1 Corinthians 13, the Word of God says that love is the greatest of all the virtues. It also says in 1 John 4.20, If anyone loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how in the world can he love God who he's not seen? He's given us this command. Whoever loves God must love his brother as well. We see the stamp of excellence then. These marks of holiness, forgiveness, and love. Look with me at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Are you finding peace ruling in your heart this morning? Colossians tells us to allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart and in my heart, if we are indeed a child of God. It means that we have direct access to this peace of Christ if we belong to Him. It's our calling. We are called to peace. The psalmist puts it like this in 131.2. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a child with its mother. The child weaned from its mother is my soul within me. He's giving us a clear picture of a child secure in the mother's arms. Happy, content, not demanding, not insisting to be fed. Content to know that the mother will feed the child or the baby when it's time and it's not burying its head into her breast, demanding its own way. Many of you have brought home newborns, so you know what it is to experience round-the-clock feedings. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, I usually got up, got the child, um, if it wasn't already sleeping with us. But we, husbands, you know too, we, they couldn't wait. They have to be fed here and now. But as the child grows, praise the Lord, they grow, and they are content to just lie peaceful and calm in loving arms, trusting, not demanding anymore. The psalmist says, I am weaned. I have learned to trust, 
and not demand. I will rest contented in my Father's arms through situations that are completely out of my control. Imagine with me, if you will, complete darkness, stillness, nothing, no noise. Then you hear a voice. It's the Word of God. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Let the land produce seed-bearing plants. Let there be lights in the expansion of the sky. Let the water teem with living creatures. Let the land produce living creatures. Let us make man in our image. Again, the Word of God speaks. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. You see here the pronouncements of God. It's order, it's harmony, it's balance, it's perfection. Peace, the Hebrew word shalom, incorporates much more than what we can develop in our own English language of the word peace. It it means an embodied concept that resonates with wholeness, unity, and balance. A harmonious, caring community with God at its center as the prime sustainer and the most glorious inhabitant. The Greek meaning for the word, is arene. It's peace, it's harmony, often used in greetings and invocations. It's always order, never its opposite, which is disorder. These great visions of shalom and arene, they begin and they end in his word. In the creation narrative, God ordered harmony out of chaos. And in John's revelation, we have the glorious wholeness of a new heaven and a new earth. Christ is the prince of peace, justice, and righteousness. And it characterizes his unending kingdom. And we can find that in Isaiah 9-7. Revelation 19-7 Let, or allow what God has planned, therefore let us rejoice and be glad, and give Him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made ready herself. You who are believers, allow what God has planned for your life. He has planned for peace to rule in your hearts, and the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly. And that brings us to thankfulness. We're forgiven, we're loved, and we're being loved, and we are loving, and so being thankful flows right out of that. Let's look carefully then at the idea of thankfulness. It's three times in verses 15 to 17. Be thankful ends verse 15, verse 16. The idea there and the phrase is the same with gratitude or thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then the idea is repeated again in verse 17, giving thanks to God. A little boy was asked by his father, would you please ask the blessing 
before we partake of the meal. And so the little boy, in all honesty and in all integrity, he looked out over the, out over the table, and uh, he just sincerely prayed, Lord, I don't like what I see, but I'll eat it anyway, and I'll thank you for it. Three areas of thankfulness. We can be thankful for what we have. Um, children often say thank you for their food. Maybe for that kitten that they've always longed for, the puppy dog. Secondly, our thankfulness goes along with petitions, things that we ask for in prayer, that we recognize our needs before God, and we continue to thank Him for fulfilling those needs. Philippians 4, 6, But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your your requests, be made known to God. And then thirdly, and probably most difficultly, it's thankfulness for trials. But those are a good thing. We don't stop thanking Him for what we have, and we don't want to stop thanking Him for tending to our needs. Now we enter that area of thanking Him for, for suffering and for trials, because we know that they stretch us, they allow us to grow, and we, um, we trust Him more and more as we tackle these trials, and we thank Him for it. James 1-2, consider it all joy, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are going through. Rejoice and be thankful. Um, I had an opportunity to meet with someone this week. He showed up at our door, and I'm so thankful for the uh, leadership of the church here. Um, because what, what, what you all are about is that you're asking the tough questions. Like, Mark, even though you've lost your job, how you, how you, how you, how you doing? Tell, tell us. Give us feedback. Let us know. You're asking the tough questions, wanting to, what do, you, what do you want? What are you looking for? You're looking for an honest response, and that's what I want to give you guys. So somebody, somebody from the church showed up this week to meet another one of those bills that come in, whether it would have been food or uh, house payment or whatever. Um, so we haven't missed a payment, even though I've been out of job for nearly a month now. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the church, as leadership, y'all are responsible for taking care of the flock. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and thank you again. So what happens is that when we're blessed, we're being enriched by the love and the forgiveness of Christ, uh, the natural tendency is then is to just go and do it to somebody else. Thank you. Because I know I've been here long enough to know that it's just not me and my family, but you've done it for others. And on behalf of them, I want you to know that you're, you're being appreciated. And so thank you very much. I know, I know that God is working. And you need to know that too. Uh, I've struggled this past week, um, but it was a good reminder that God is sovereign in spite of anything that else happens. Sometimes we just do think it's out of control. He is sovereign. He will take care of it. I just need to know 
<clears throat> excuse me, I need to know it, and so do you. And so where do we where do we go? We go to his word. Having a thankful heart dispels all murmuring, all complaining, all grumbling, all self-pity. And that's about where I was. Up until Thursday when I saw an enlightening video that showed me, look, it's not self-pity, it's not pride, it's not any of those things. It's to know that Christ, Christ wants to do all these things in my life and he wants to do all these things in your life. That we bear one another together. We're forgiving. We're loving. That his peace reigns and it rules. That I can be thankful in every and in all the situations. Let's pray together. Father, I'm taken back by uh, what this church has done, what it means to me, and uh, what you're doing in the, in the lives of the leadership, and Father, frankly, what you're doing in the lives of all these people here. Lord, that uh, everyone is responsible. We're all responsible for one another. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for every one of them. They're instrumental in looking out, looking at the needs of various folks, and they want to do what they can do. Lord, there's folks here that, are, that haven't stopped praying. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. You would bless them with these holiness items that we've talked about that come from you. Lord, I'll just simply say thank you for working your work in their lives. We'll just claim that verse together, that what you've started, you'll bring it. You'll bring it to um, perfect completion. In Jesus' name, amen.